Welcome, listeners, to the NK News podcast recorded in Seoul on Friday, December 7, 2018. Today, I am joined by Teodora or Teddy Gyupchanova of NKDB to talk about women's health and human rights in North Korea. But before we get into the discussion, I need to tell you all about the new NK shop. NK News annual shop is back in business for the holiday season. Chad and the team have got lots of wonderful gift ideas together, including extremely limited edition retro t-shirts, 2019 calendars, postcards, Andy Warhol-inspired canned goods posters, and vintage DPRK travel posters. These posters are the right size and quality for framing and hanging on your wall. I've got some myself. They're fantastic. Listeners to this podcast can get 10% off their entire purchase by using using the code NKPODCAST10, that's NKPODCAST10, at the checkout. Just go to nkshop.org and see what's in stock this year. All right, my guest today, Teodora Gyupchanova, holds a BA degree in Korean studies from Sofia University, Bulgaria, and a master's degree in international cooperation from the Graduate School of International Studies at Yonsei University here in Seoul. Currently, she is responsible for international communications of the Database Center for North Korean Human Rights, NKDB, which you can find online at nkdb.org. Her work involves NKDB's partnerships with foreign human rights institutions, as well as the organization of international seminars and promoting the work of NKDB to the international community overseas and within South Korea. Theodora has been a contributor to the annual white paper on North Korean human rights since 2014. Thanks for joining me today, Theodora. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. So what is NKDB and how did it get started and when was it formed? So NKDB was established in 2003, and it was at a time in which there was a very big group of North Korean defectors arriving in Seoul, and there was no effort on the side of the government to actually record their stories from North Korea, especially human rights violations perpetrated in the DPRK. So the founders of the organization kind of took it upon themselves to set up an organization which will primarily do this. Um, interview North Korean defectors and document human rights violations that were experienced by them. Right now, we are kind of collecting all of this information into a database, and we have over 110,000 cases, records. Mm -hmm. Those are including cases, about 70,000 cases of human rights violations, and information on about 40,000 individuals involved in them. So those are victims, perpetrators, witnesses. We do a lot of other work, such as awareness raising, a little bit of advocacy, and also a bit of resettlement assistance for North Korean defectors here. Okay, so you uh, specifically focus in your database on human rights violations, so you're not uh, sort of a general encyclopedia of everything about all knowledge about North Korea. We try to collect as much information possible about life inside North Korea, but yes, our primary focus is human rights violations with the idea of potentially using the information that we gather in a transitional justice process sometime in the future in the Korean Peninsula. And you said you were formed 15 years ago in uh, in 2003. Yes. Um, so that's and it's a South Korean based organization. So how 
Has it been affected by political changes in South Korea? I mean, it was formed, for example, during the Norman Hyun administration. Then we had Im Young Bak and, and Park Geun-hye, two uh, conservative organ- uh, administrations, skeptical of, of North Korea, critical of North Korea. Now we have the Moon Jae-in administration. Uh, does that affect the work or the reception of the work of, of NKDB at all uh, when the political uh, situation changes here in the South? We were set up as a non-governmental, non-political, non-religious organization. So this is one characteristic of NKDB. We try to stay as neutral as possible, as much as it is possible here. Yes, there have been a lot of changes in the attitude towards the work on North Korean human rights throughout the different administrations. But overall, we have kept the same uh, kind of path and it has not greatly affected um like the work that we do. Of course, in certain times, um, the reception of the work is easier or in, in other times, it's it's a bit more difficult to transmit the message that we want to send. But overall, we try to kind of keep an objective stance on our work. So how did you become involved uh, with, with NKDB? Oh, it was about five years ago. And uh, in my previous work, I had worked on North Korea for a little over a year, but it was on security and um, security monitoring with International Crisis Group's office, um, where I was a trainee for about a year. Was that when uh, Dan Pinkston was uh, ICG in Seoul? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, a previous guest on our podcast. Uh, so hi to Dan, if you're listening. I've had the pleasure to work with him. Then for a short time between this, I was not working on North Korea specifically. And after that, the opportunity came up and I was very happy that I had the chance to work on North Korea again, but on a very different angle, which is human rights. Mm. But I started in 2014 at the end of February, just a few days after the Commission of Inquiry report was published. And it was a very, very interesting time at that time when I started. Uh, these days, there are a lot of groups that work on uh, North Korean human rights. And uh, just on this podcast, we've interv- interviewed Sokil Park of uh, Link, Liberty in North Korea, and also Greg Scalariu from the Committee for Human Rights in North Korea. So how does NKDB distinguish itself or differentiate itself from all these other groups? Well, as I said earlier, we are operating as a think tank because we do a lot of research work and uh, we publish a lot of reports, but uh, essentially we have to do our day-to-day activities as an NGO working on different projects. So we are doing more investigative work and and looking into information gathering and documentation. So there is not so much campaigning that we are involved in. We try to, in the past years, we've tried to use the information that we've gathered to do some advocacy work, mainly within the UN system, with foreign governments. We try to use the information to develop educational programs for the South Korean audience and a little bit for the foreign uh, audiences as well, but mainly for the South Korean audience, because there is a lot of need to learn more about the situation inside North Korea here in South Korea. So this is, in a sense, what we do. Um, okay, so you've, you've explained there that uh, your main uh, function is, is as a think tank and also to educate. So to collect information, to analyze information, and to educate the South Koreans. Um, is there a, a way that, I mean, what can you do from outside to actually help North Koreans? Is there a way that that information can be applied to improve the situation of North Koreans? 
What we have been trying to do is, um, first of all, work with audiences here in South Korea, both domestic with the South Korean people and also with uh, foreigners here, mainly the diplomatic community. But also there are quite a lot of international organizations that do work relevant to North Korea. So we try to make them familiar with uh, the information that we've gathered and send out and uh, do constant reminders of um, certain issues that we believe uh, need to be addressed more urgently than others. And uh, we also, as I said, we try to to like right now we're executing somewhere between four or six educational programs that run on a regular basis, working with younger South Koreans here in Seoul and trying to kind of expand their knowledge on different issues, both on North Korean human rights, but also related to North Korean, the life of North Korean defectors here mm-hmm. in Seoul. As there is... Um, A lot of education for North Korean defectors about life in South Korea. There should be education to South Korean people about lives in North Korea. Uh, You need to have knowledge on both sides in order to understand each other better. So that's one thing we do. We've also, on certain projects, we have kind of packaged information that we have released uh, with our uh, research and kind of related to groups that smuggle information inside North Korea. So So uh, we have sent um, information inside North Korea. Hopefully it was accessed by people that could um, read USBs or or listen to uh, CDs. And also in the past, we had a project that was executed on a regular basis with um, developing content for radio broadcasting that Mm -hmm. uh, had a little bit of information on basic human rights, also in the way it relates to the situation inside North Korea, presented in a way that would be easily understood by North Koreans, whoever happens to be listening on a radio set inside North Korea. So we don't do this um, as regularly now, but on an ad hoc basis, like sometimes we would have radio broadcasts, um, we'll be participating for one of the radio broadcasts that transmit inside North Korea. Uh, This week marks seven years since Kim Jong-il died and his son Kim Jong-un took over uh, leadership of North Korea. Uh, Some people say that the human rights situation has improved in those last seven years. Others say it hasn't. What's NKDB's assessment? In general, we try to stay away away from the word uh, improved. I believe it sends like a falsely positive message. Um, let's say that there is certain changes, um, slightly positive changes in certain areas, but they're mainly uh, have to do with social rights. Educational system has improved a bit. Um, there has been, because we collect information on an annual basis, trying to track the situation of uh, different groups of human rights. Our data shows that there are there have been more textbooks in schools. Uh, there, there have been more books available to students. But the thing is, teachers are still not paid mm. at all or properly. Students are still used most of the time to do work within the school or outside of the school uh, rather than be studying in the classrooms. So essentially having more books in the schools is meaningless if you don't have the students in there studying mm. with them. At the same time in the years since 
Kim Jong-un came to power, we've seen a rise in human rights violations, such as forced uh, transfer of people from Pyongyang to the provinces, which means those are the cases in which uh, people have been stripped of their uh, party membership and being punished by uh, being sent to usually farming uh, areas in, in provinces outside Pyongyang. So steps taken when a leader is consolidating his power and getting rid of um, any opposition that he may face or is facing. Also, there has been a raise in um, executions. Not so many public executions in the past years, but we see a bit of rise in the secret executions, which shows that North Korea is quite conscious about its image internationally, so tries to avoid this bad publicity that public executions have been responsible for for many years, uh, but substituting it with another vicious practice, practice essentially. What, um, what do we know about North Korea's own internal discourse on, uh, on human rights? I think I read somewhere recently, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that North Korea stated in a, a recent publication on human rights that uh, the number one or the most important human right is national sovereignty. Yes, although sometimes um, they talk about it in official documents, uh, it's not understood as a person's individual rights because most of human rights are being, as you said, uh, directly linked to rights associated like with the, with the country, with uh, the sovereignty of the state, with the security of the state. And obviously in North Korea, there is no such unit as the individual. Everything is group-based. Um, there has been some effort on the side of the North Korean government in the past years to incorporate human rights education and different levels of um, the state apparatus. But this is done in a very superficial manner. Um, usually it's it's being mentioned in, in lectures in university or in front of state officials. Mm. People say that, oh, I heard the word. I've heard the expression. I even heard it uh, like, as human rights within the UN system, like on a radio broadcast or on TV, but they said there is no explanation. So it was just like mentioned in passing, but there is no explanation of the concept of what human rights are, individual freedoms, nothing like that exists. Is the same word for human rights used in North Korea as here in South Korea? Um, no, because it's essentially, well, the word human rights, it did appear in the constitution. I cannot recall the exact year in which the amendment was made. It was in the 2000s. But usually, it's we're not talking about human rights per se. Mostly, North Korea talks about citizens' rights, uh-huh. which is a bit different. Now, this week, uh, NKDB released a report uh, also available in English that, that people will be able to download from your website by the time that this podcast episode has been released. And the title of the report is The State of Menstrual Health of North Korean Women. And as a subtitle, you use the quote, periods are a shameful thing in North Korea. Uh, what's the source of this quote? Well, this was taken from a lot of the testimonies given by the North Korean women that we've interviewed for this study. A lot of them were 
telling us that there are very little conversations, even between women, like friends uh, talking about menstruation, any any issues related to that. In general, there is a lot of stigma in North Korea, and that has been an issue quite understudied. So that's why we decided that there is a need uh, for for such a project. So we've we did a study on hundred North Korean defectors mm-hmm. that have left North Korea. Most of them after 2016. It was difficult to find so many people coming after 2016. So at some point we extended. So we ended up having women leaving as early as 2012. But most of the information is quite recent. And also another thing that we try to maintain in our sample, um, to have women from different regions in North Korea. So we have women from in this study from all of the provinces. Of course, there is um, kind of a predominant number of women coming from North Hamgyong province and right. Nyangang province. Uh, but that's is, the source of, of so many of the defections or the re- yes, refugees. Yes, yeah. exactly. So periods really are a shameful thing in North Korea then? It turns out so. There were women that were saying even after they had their first period, mm-hmm. they never actually had a conversation even with their mothers mm. or or their older sisters. It, it was not discussed uh, even if uh, later in life they got pregnant. So there was no conversation about this like with a doctor even. Those were the more extreme cases. There were a lot of cases in which women had so little information that they thought that they've caught a disease mm. um, at, at the moment of their first period. Although some of them said that they have received some medication at school. When we asked them exactly what was explained and in what way it was explained, it was just another, just a mention that, oh, this is something that happens to women, but there wasn't a lot of details about it. So a lot of women, they they didn't have the information that they needed. They didn't have information like how to tend to their hygiene, how to tackle um, health problems related to menstruation. So this affected them very negatively. Okay, but just to, to make a comparison, how different is the situation? here in South Korea. I think uh, particularly if you talk to older South Korean women, um, like the generation of my wife, for example, they'll say that that's not something that they were encouraged to talk about either when they were younger. And the level of education on, on menstrual health uh, was, was, quite, uh, was quite low. I don't know how it is now. Uh, for for uh, you know Korean girls growing up now in South Korea, but yeah, is there a big difference? Is North Korea unique in this, or is it uh, is it a bigger problem there? North Korea would be more comparable with countries in Africa, for example, uh, because we kind of looked a lot in in those examples because there have been a lot of projects implemented in African countries to help women there because there is a equal level of stigma and also poverty and very, very low uh, sanitary uh, standards and conditions. The situation in North Korea is severe in a way that presents a combination of several negative factors. So there is very low awareness, very little education provided, even a lot of superstitions related with like menstruating women. Uh, Certain people believe that they will get a flat tire if a menstruating woman Mm. is uh, on the car or on the bus. Also, 
we have like quite like a very widely spread poverty among the population um, being very difficult for them to actually get sanitary pads as often as they have to and uh, even using the restroom is a big problem we cannot compare with South Korea because I've come to realize that South Korea is a very very great example of you can have a public restroom on almost every corner uh, you go to every subway station and you have a public restroom which mm-hmm. you can use without any problem that's not the case in North Korea do subway stations in Pyongyang not have uh, public restrooms Pyongyang is a different area okay. and the bigger cities they would have a few public restrooms where you can use but in the rest of the country usually one restroom is being shared by one or two in some cases more people's units so there are about 30 families in a people's unit so you can imagine the frequency with this uh, with which this restroom is being used and certain people would even like uh, in certain people's units they would lock the restroom so that other people don't use it so if a woman is passing by and and she needs to use the restroom she would need to find the person and ask them if she can use the restroom Mm. so there are things like that Uh, just to also mention that a lot of the houses in north korea they they wouldn't have like an indoor restroom they would have outhouse the the sanitary conditions there are really really terrible It's, it's just like you have wooden planks and a hole and that's it and some of the women were saying that in the winter when people needed wood for fire to warm up mm-hmm. they would take those planks so it would be just like the the soil and mm. sometimes they would even take the the door of the restroom mm. just leaving it an open space yeah. Are there uh, specialist obstetricians and gynecologists in North Korea? Yes, there are. But the thing is that um, we did not explore a lot about uh, the the services that they're providing, per se, uh, as, as doctors and their qualifications. Uh, we asked the women whether they, first of all, whether they have ever received uh, consultation for a, a condition related to menstruation, be it like cramps or severe bleeding or irregular period. More, more than 80 of those 100 women said no. It didn't even occur to them that that, that is something that they have to ask. Wow. A lot of the women actually thought that oh, like I'm in severe pain, but it's probably normal. And as they didn't have another person to ask for uh, about this, they just went on to endure the pain or try to find medicine on their own. They said that the gynecologist would usually prescribe herbal medicine or Chinese medicine, and they were never prescribed Western medicine. And in certain cases, they had to have a really uh, close personal relationship with the doctor so that they can receive treatment in the hospital. Are there uh, herbal medicines or particular plants or other things in North Korea that supposed to be very good for things like menstrual cramps. I know that uh, in the West, for example, there's a, uh, a you know, a lot of uh, health food shops, they sell uh, evening primrose oil, which is supposed to be good for menstrual pain. Uh, what's what is it? What's the favorite uh, item in North Korea for that? The thing is that a lot of women are just enduring the pains, not knowing that there is a relief uh, that they can take a pill as a painkiller and uh, they can uh, not be suffering anymore. But the thing is that it is um, not so easy to find medicine in North Korea. Some. 
some of the doctors are selling it privately. Most of the women said that they found some medicine at the Changmadang, at the markets. They were saying just like herbal medicine, but they were not specifying like a specific herb. But one particular thing that was uh, concerning is that a lot of them said that they use a painkiller which is called Chongtongpyeong, which is a Chinese painkiller that actually has opium in it, which is quite strong for to take for period pains because nothing else was available. They were taking this. Is that available across the counter or do they need a doctor's prescription to get it? I don't think that it's it's something that is being prescribed hmm. by, by so the doctors. So people can just buy... They were taking it at the market. Opiates in, in, in the market, which can lead to all sorts of other problems like perhaps low-level opium addictions if... If it's used potentially you know. so um, some women interestingly said uh, they knew about aspirin mm. and there, well there is some there's a factory I forgot the name now but there is a factory that produces aspirin in North Korea isn't there uh, yes but the thing is when you take aspirin it dilutes your blood mm -hmm. so it's not for not for all women that's the best method to relieve your pain okay. and actually can lead to excessive bleeding and hemorrhage oh. but nothing from the interviews show that women were given this information. Wow. Okay. Uh, what do women use uh, as sanitary pads in North Korea? I mean, are there consumer products available? There are in certain cases. The thing is, most of the women would use cloth sanitary pads made of gauze. They would either buy gauze at the uh, market by the meter and sew them themselves okay. and, and make them themselves as their mothers or sisters show them. Or uh, at certain point, uh, women started just making the sanitary pads uh, in advance and just like selling ready-made gold sanitary pads at the markets. They would be a bit more expensive. And uh, there are also disposable sanitary pads. So these gold well. ones you mentioned, they're to be washed and reused, are they? Yes, those have to be washed, uh, dried very well uh, for disinfection, and then they're being reused. Also, you, you need to have the space to, to do this, which is a problem, especially in a country where just um, having your sanitary pad hanging on your, like, on the clothesline. On the clothesline, yes. yes, outside of your house is the last thing that you want. So a lot of women... But ideally, I mean, if you want to disinfect it, you want to have it drying in sunlight, don't it, you? It needs to be perfectly dried, yes, preferably in the sunlight. A lot of the women couldn't do this. And um, they were saying uh, they, they dried sanitary pads inside their homes, sometimes under a blanket, or they were covering them if, if they would hang them outside, or they would pick those times of the day when people are not passing by where there are no men around but washing was also difficult because let's say some of the women they had washing machines uh, even electrical washing machines in their homes but there was no electricity mm. so they had to do all the, wash all the washing by hand oh, yeah, or yeah. at a stream because sometimes they wouldn't have running water in their houses right especially in the winter I guess huh? yes uh, you mentioned also that there are uh, some disposable sanitary napkins there are. Uh, are they produced in North Korea? There, there are brands that are produced in North Korea. Um, the women said that they have used the women that were using disposable sanitary pads said that they've used ones that were imported from China or smuggled from China and being sold on the markets in North Korea. And is that because they're supposed to be better or they're more easily available or they're cheaper? They tend to be a bit cheaper uh, sometimes, but women said that they preferred uh, the North Korean ones as quality. Hmm. They said the. North 
North Korean sanitary pads uh, are of better quality than the Chinese ones. And uh, there were three uh, more popular brand, North Korean brands that mm. appeared in the interview. So one was the Tedonggang, which was the most popular one. And then Changmi, Rose. which is Rose. Yeah. Yes. And Milhwabori, which is a yellow-billed grosbeak. So that's a that's a bird. It's a small, cute bird. Mm. Uh, but the thing is, Tedonggang were the most widely spread because yeah. the, the other two tend to be on the more expensive side and mm. can be can cost of more than 10,000 North Korean won which just to give uh, perspective to the listeners yeah. on average like one kilogram like the, the price of rice varies but on average about 5,000 North Korean won average North Korean salary about 3,000 North Korean won so if you have to buy one pack of 10 uh, disposable sand Pass that costs 10,000 North Korean won. That's a big burden. Um, then, you know, every month you've got to buy, you've got to either decide, do I buy a pack of these sanitary napkins or do I buy two kilograms of rice? Exactly. And women were saying that uh, using disposable sanitary pads yeah. felt somehow wrong to them. Do, do you mean wasteful? Uh, wasteful, yes. Uh, they said, I, I paid so much money, but then I have to change them more often than the cloth ones. But all of them admitted that they were trying to buy disposable sanitary pads to use when they had to travel for longer periods of time. Do they come in different sizes, widths, thicknesses like that? I mean, here in South Korea, any convenience store, you see, uh, you know, uh, maxis and minis and midis. Mm. There's so much variety. Is that also, do these three brands that you mentioned, do they produce different uh, sizes? So the women mentioned medium-sized and, and big-sized. Mm -hmm. So these are the two sizes that they, they mentioned. When it comes to the cloth ready-made ones, they tend to be in a uniform size made for the underwear of North Korean women. Now, in 2007, uh, Thomas Friedman wrote a piece for the New York Times in which he reported that due to a, a shortage of uh, disposable sanitary napkins in Kenya, some women were using rags or soil or even mud to absorb their menstrual blood. Is this also happening in North Korea? Did you hear in your uh, 100 survey uh, respondents, did you find similar stories? There were a few women that said when they were in situations where uh, they didn't have cloth, uh, no disposable sanitary pad, they would use paper. Writing paper? Some, sometimes it would be like uh, the, um, the paper from a notebook, mm. uh, for example. Or in the kit, because when we're talking about cloth sanitary pads, I'm mostly referring to the gauze ones. Yeah. But the thing is, not everyone could buy gauze at the market. And a lot of women were using their old clothes or bedding to make uh, sanitary pads. But also the women were saying that I was not able to wash it properly before that. So this uh, kind of uh, reflects on their health and, and hygiene as well. Now, we hear uh, lately in, in North Korea that women are more at the forefront. Uh, you know, we have the uh, the sister of Kim Jong-un with a, a very public role, the wife of Kim Jong-un with a public role, the former lead singer of Kim Jong-un's favorite band. So they have a, a level of prominence and perhaps even a status that wasn't given to North Korean women during the time of Kim Il-sung or Kim Jong-il. How has this uh, affected uh, women's health or women's menstrual health overall? Has it 
has there been a change in the last seven years? The common denominator of all these like women that you mentioned, uh, like would be the leader of of North Korea. Sure. So I think that uh, just uh, having in mind that there is a very very big difference between like women in in like leadership position or within the party and all the just uh, normal, ordinary North Korean women from the provinces. Yeah. I don't think that because usually when we have a woman uh, in such position, it's it serves as a model. But I don't think that those are entirely relatable models for mm. the North Korean women. So I don't think that they would see a woman and just a woman in South Hwanghae province would think, oh, I can do that. Um, like I can, I can be performing a similar function. When it comes to the conditions of menstrual health, I think for the past seven years, just the situation has been perpetuated mm. as from the previous years. Obviously, uh, now with the uh, kind of uh, expansion of the markets, it's more easier for women to buy either Chinese um, pads or, or the North Korean ones or to buy cloths. But overall, when it comes to perception and education, the situation has not changed. What about women in the North Korean military, do they have a, a better or worse uh, situation? Women in the North Korean military present a very interesting case because actually it's the military where women were provided mm -hmm. with uh, sanitary pads. Uh, most of them received the Tedonggang. Uh, yep. disposable sanitary pads, but a lot of them would just save them, sell them mm. at the market so that they can buy like food or medicine or, or something else. So just what would they money. use then? They would uh, either use them very, very sparingly, sparingly uh, so not actually use the amount that they need and change them as frequently as they need, or, or they would just use cloth ones uh, themselves mm. because the disposable ones are at a higher price. But also the thing is that all of the pads were uh, under the supervision kept uh, from the higher ranking military officials and sometimes they would embezzle this and would not give the proper number to of, of pads to the North Korean women in the military and they would just uh, sell them to the market themselves and, and earn more money. So that's why there are like a lot of the Tedonggang disposable pads on the markets, they actually come from the military. Uh, what about women in uh, detention facilities, in, in the camps in North Korea? There the situation is most uh, most difficult because there, the women said that there are no sanitary pads, no cloth, uh, nothing provided in detention facilities. I'm mostly talking about either like interrogation facilities of the Ministry of State Security or just the general prisons or labor training camps. Most of the women that were in detention were in those facilities. And they said that women who actually had their periods there, because a lot of the women, they stopped having their periods the moment they went into the detention facility or very shortly after. So the ones that were still having their uh, menstruation, they had to rely on family visitations so mm. family members were bringing them pads. But in a similar way, some of them were saving them so that they can actually trade them for food or a little bit of uh, money within the prison. Now, what about uh, working uh, North Korean women? Is there a, such a thing as menstrual leave? The women said that this is not something that is provided to them. Uh, there were women that had 
to stay home. They were not feeling well because of their periods, but but this was not given to them as a menstrual leave. So they were just technically on a sick leave. Mm. So that was not something especially provided to them. Only in workplaces where there were predominantly women, such as like sewing factories, for example, where the unit, the work unit leader would be a woman, then even without uh, women saying explicitly that they're on their period, like there would be this understanding. But again, this is not treated as a menstrual leave. Uh, so it's not as in South Korea, where you have uh, one day per month that uh, you can actually use, which is like unpaid, but you can still take a day off mm-hmm. on your period. And in many cases, women said that because I was going to be like scolded if I miss work, I just had to just push through it. Does menopause begin earlier in, in North Korea? I mean, are we seeing uh, long-term changes in, in menstrual cycles and menopause because of, uh, of the difficult conditions there? There really needs to be a medical study on just the North Korean population as a whole, but specifically North Korean women, because some of the women that we interviewed, they uh, actually indicated that they started, their menopause started uh, in their 30s, mid-30s, late 30s, which, which is very early. Very. Some of the women said that they their first uh, menstrual cycle started uh, when they were 20, which is also on the later side, which has a lot to do with uh, nutrition, actually more nutrition in, in North Korea. So because now we don't have, like, at least we have not recorded cases of death of starvation, but there is like widely spread more nutrition, which affects like uh, hormonal changes. Sure, yeah. And in women, like this is essential for uh, your like healthy period. Just to come back to the, the theme of, uh, of shame and, and disgrace and embarrassment that many North Korean women feel about uh, their periods, it, it seems so ironic given that as early as July 30th, 1946, and this is more than two years before the, uh, the North Korean state was founded, uh, Kim Il-sung promulgated the law that made men and women equal. You know, what, what's going on here? This law on sex equality uh, in in North Korea is very often mentioned by the North Korean state mm. uh, when they want to emphasize like how how good of a role uh, women have in the North Korean society. But essentially, what this law did, it gave the rights of property to women, which was which did not existed before right. that on the like unified Korean Peninsula before that. So this gave in a sense, some power to women and also gave the opportunities uh, for women to take work positions uh, in the same way as men. But you have a very patriarchal society in North Korea, very men-oriented. So a lot of the women, even if they were working before marriage, as soon as they get married, it's expected of them to take care of the family, of the kids, all the housework. Uh, they would quit their job and they would just like take care of the family. There is not too much use in just in theory being able to have um, yes equal working rights for example with with men if actually in practice what you do is like have a very classical kind of housewife role is there a how do I put it is it that men are, are forcing this this shame on North Korean women or is it just simply a lack of care that because North Korea has been run by men since 1946 that there's just an ignorance about it I mean how, how is it that women doctors uh, are not you know, 
um, or, or women party members. I mean, there are some women in the in the Politburo. How does this not get changed? I think it has a lot to do with the education system as well, because it all starts from the early ages. Uh, but, but most school. North Korean women, sorry, most North Korean school teachers are, are women still, are they not? Yes, yes, but even they have not received like proper education on, let's say, uh, like menstrual health and overall on uh, women's health, and um, the majority of the women that we interviewed, they said because um, their classes were divided into classes for girls and classes for boys. So only the girls uh, actually had to, like within their like practical training class, they received very vague explanation about menstruation. And actually the the boys uh, never, like never listened to this and and they didn't, uh, they received no education. So there is a a very uh, almost no concept of what women go through when it comes to um, North Korean men. So I would say um, this affects the whole attitude. A lot of the women said that they have been made fun of by men uh, while they were on their period, and uh, men were often joking that you can you can feel that a woman stinks because obviously if you're using a cloth sanitary pad, uh, it does not have the perfect absorption power, mm-hmm. and and yes indeed blood has a smell so and and since women are forced to maybe change their paths like mostly once or twice per day there might be some smell that you could you could feel but mm-hmm. uh like a lot of women were made uh, additionally to feel ashamed by by men's comments and remarks are we also saying does this also manifest itself in uh, poor education on um pregnancy childbirth related issues as well all that as well. Uh, I would say that there isn't because we we did publish our results on like menstrual health specifically, yes, yeah. but we did kind of ask questions on the whole range, right. so including uh, pregnancy and sex education. Sex education that was like non-existent. Like mm. women were saying, like and it's not possible. Like we mm. don't talk about this. And when it comes to uh, knowledge of like the reproductive system and 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 pregnancy. There were a few women that said that they've never knew how you get pregnant and never had a conversation with their mother or teacher or doctor or anyone before no. they got pregnant. Mm. And then a lot of the women, they would get pregnant and then the next visit, like so there is no visit to the doctor. So only when there are to give birth, that is when you go to the doctor or the doctor comes to your house. And are there contraceptives available in North Korea? There are are some those are only for women um, condoms as contraceptives for men this is an idea that uh, is does not exist in mm-hmm. in North Korea so a lot of the women they actually come to uh, find about condoms once they come to South Korea which is like uh, once they leave North Korea there there are um, some methods of um, contraception like uh, used for women but uh, actually those cause a lot of health problems are these uh, pills or interuterine devices uh, interuterine devices mostly mm. but women said that you have like a lot of them come from China you have to buy them at the market uh, not so easy to 
get them at the hospital, then the a doctor would place it. But um, there were women that were complaining of a lot of pain or inflammation after that, so they had to have it removed. And they said that also a lot of women were getting pregnant even uh, they had it because it was not it was not a good of uh, good quality. Well, uh, gosh, that's all a, a lot to take in. You uh, you've been working with NKDB for a number of years. Um, do you ever feel discouraged? In certain degree, almost every day. But then also, I think it's um, it's quite unrealistic if you say that you are just like fighting the good fight and at the same uh, level and passion. When it comes to North Korea, every day you hear at least like one or or two things that are like sink your heart, uh, especially uh, in our case when we we talk to the people coming from North Korea. So sometimes it makes you feel, um, yes, a bit discouraged, but uh, I would say perseverance and um, a bit of stubbornness helps as well. Well, um, okay, last question. What else do people need to know about NKDB? How can they get involved? What can they do? How can they support your organization? Well, there are various ways uh, in which people can help us do the work that uh, we're doing. Um, we highly appreciate every interest in our organization and uh, people have helped us in various ways from people making financial contributions um, if uh, if they would like to do so to help our work in publishing reports and assisting North Korean defectors here in Seoul. But also we um, welcome people that want to sign up for our educational programs. Mm-hmm. Information about all the can be found on our website, which you mentioned in the beginning. NKDB.org. Yes. yes. Are you also on social media? Yes. We have uh, two pages on Facebook, mm-hmm. one uh, maintained in English and one in Korean. And so there is uh, information published regularly there uh, because we also run uh, on a quarterly basis an internship program um, for students that want to acquire some experience and also help us do the work that we're doing. Um, sometimes uh, people come to volunteer for like short periods of time on different projects that we are executing. Okay, well, that's great. Everyone check out nkdb.org or find them on the Facebook. Uh, thank you very much, Teodora Gyuptanova, for joining me here today. Thank you. On the NK News Podcast. Don't forget, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, download the new report on uh, women's menstrual health and have a look at that and share that with people who might be interested. And check out our nkshop.org for all your North Korea-related holiday gift ideas to support the excellent journalism work done by the folks here at nknews.org. And you can get 10% off your entire purchase by using the code NKPODCAST10 at the checkout. Please share the podcast, send us reviews and feedback, and thanks to our producers, Arias Dare and Christina Lee.